the Catholic Channel Sirius XM 129 presents Just Love with your host, Monsignor Kevin Sullivan, Executive Director of Catholic Charities of the Archdiocese of New York. Welcome back to Just Love. This is our weekly conversation about the church in the world. We speak about those topics that are contemporary, they are of interest, and we look at them through the perspective of our Catholic social teaching. We look at a variety of topics depending on what's going on in the world around us, and um, we hopefully provide a little bit of enlightenment, a little bit of greater awareness to people who um, are listeners who might want to understand more about these, uh, about the topics that we are talking about. And so, Um, In this show, we're going to touch on some topics which have a great deal of sensitivity associated with them and also a great deal of of kind of tension and divisiveness in certain ways. You know, some aspects of them shouldn't, but they do. And that's the reality of the world that we are, you know, we deal with. And so we think it's a good idea if people can think about it, talk about it form their own judgments about it. And in that way, if we do this in a way that is civil, we hopefully create a world that is more just and we create a world that is more compassionate as we um, as we do this. Hey, Tom, before we get into our first guest, since summer is upon us, do you have any plans for the summer? Uh, I'm going to be going to the uh, the Summer Institute, Monsignor, again, the roundtable has one every year, and this is the first in-person one in over two years. So they're going to have it in uh, in Minnesota. So <laughs> near the end of July, I'm going to be going out to, to Minnesota. So I've never I've never been. Um, so I'm very much looking forward to that. And maybe I'll build a couple of days in on either side to explore Minnesota. I, I don't know a lot about the state, but I'm looking forward to finding out. So we'll we'll Where in Minnesota. It's going to be in uh, St. Mary's University, um, which is um, out. It, it's it's pretty far outside of Minneapolis. I think it's up by St. Cloud. I think okay. that's that's the diocese it's going to be lo- be located in. But I'm not. It's uh, more more rural and not really near Minneapolis. So, but I'm flying into Minneapolis. So there are two two things that you should know about uh, Minnesota. Mm-hmm. One is that I'm told it has a lot of lakes. Okay. Okay. I, I like lakes. That's, that's a, that's a good thing. <laughs> and I also think it's where the Mississippi river begins. Yes. Yes. I, I think that's correct. Mr. Yes, I, it is. I, I, I don't know if we'll be near that, but that'd be kind of a, a cool thing to see, to see how the, uh, the, the headwaters of the, of the Mississippi that's on a, that's a bucket list kind of thing. <laughs> well, you know, it's interesting. I discovered that by accident because I was in Minneapolis a number of years ago when I kind of was taking a walk and I walked down towards the river and I discovered it was the Mississippi. Yeah. That, that's shocking. Yeah, so I said, okay, this is, this is interesting. Cause you know, I thought about the Mississippi with, you know, New Orleans, I think yeah. St. Louis, all of those places. I wasn't really thinking of Minneapolis, but uh, exactly. Um, anyway, so it's um, anyway, so why don't we go to our first guest? I am um, ju- delighted that our first guest is um, Stan J.R. Zerkowski, 
who is the executive director of Fortunate Families. And I'll let him talk to us about uh, that organization. And I'm delighted. Um, JR, thank you so much for joining us on Just Love. I am delighted that you are with us. Thanks so much. Well, thank you, Monsignor. Thank you so much for, uh, for your kind welcome and for having me today. So Fortunate Families uh, is, a, is a national ministry, and uh, what we seek to do is to build bridges. Um, how do we do that? With respectful conversation with pastors and bishops and archbishops and leaders in the Catholic community to discern how we can possibly uh, see God's will and uh, figure out what God wants as far as intentional outreach to those who have left the church, those who feel outside of the church, um, those who are on the peripheries, those who are marginalized, that are part of the LGBTQ community. And what we do is we move in and help people discern what steps they can take um, as good Catholics, as, as you know, sons and daughters as, uh, of the church, uh, within the church, um, and, uh, and bring them home. Bring them home. Uh, let them know about their dignity as uh, children of God and let them know that there's a place for them. Many of them don't. Many of them feel alienated, uh, yep. especially our youth. Our youth uh, sometimes feel that the church is not necessarily there for them, that they're not loved by the church. It's, it's erroneous, of course, it's erroneous that they think that way because the church loves them dearly. But, uh, but we move in and try to figure out practical ways to, uh, to let people know that, people that don't know that. So thank you so much for, for sharing that. And, and thank you for the, the ministry and work that you are doing. It is so kind of critically, critically important to do it. How did you kind of get involved in, in this work? That's a good question. I, I, we ever know what, what, what God has planned for us. I, you know, as I never figured this was going to be my career path. I graduated from Villanova with a master's in church management. Um, and stewardship. Never did I figure this was going to happen. I worked for 15 years um, in the Diocese of Palm Beach, 15 years in the Diocese of Orlando. Um, six years ago, a couple of, uh, six years ago, Sunday, I woke up, and I was working here in Lexington at Historic St. Paul Parish, and I was doing their music as well as stewardship, and I had uh, my usual Sunday routine is get up, go to the office, read the New York Times online, and then head into church and do my thing. Um, I read about the Pulse Massacre. That was a defining moment for me. It hit way too close to home since I had worked in the Diocese of Orlando. Went to church that day. Sadly, at Mass, not a prayer was offered, not a candle was lit, not a word was spoken, not a general intercession, nada, nothing. I was at a real crossroads. I thought, you know, I love this church. I love my ministry within the church, which was very different at that time. But boy, it hit hard that we were not remembering these people that were so, that were gunned down. So I went to my pastor and I went to my pastoral associate and expressed my concern about that. You know, they listened, it was fine. Then I went to uh, my, my bishop here and I said, Bishop, you know, what are we doing um, for people that are grieving in this community? And I knew there were people grieving in the LGBT community because the parish that I serve is in downtown Lexington. And a couple of blocks away, maybe 60, 70,000. It doesn't sound like a lot compared to New York standards. About 60, 70,000 uh, come down for the uh, Pride Festival every year. They got to walk right in front of our church to get there. 
And so I knew there was a big LGBTQ community. I thought, what are we doing for them? How can we reach out to them? What can we do? So I did a concert a month later. I thought that was a pretty good way to bring people in without a whole lot of commitment on their part. And you have to show some compassion on our part. I'm saying here, that just blew up. That blew up. We filled the church. 750 people were in there. And we heard stories until 2 in the morning afterwards uh, of people how hurt they were, of how marginalized, how alienated they were from the church. At that point, after listening to all this, I thought to myself, we've got to do something about it. So I went back to the bishop and I said, can I try to do something about this? He said, yeah, you can try. And informed and, and work with a priest. And I had Father John Curtis working with me as a spiritual director on this whole thing. We had no idea what we were doing. Gradually, we became a model for other places in the United States. We're calling me up and saying, Jared, what did you do at the high school? How did you get support groups in a Catholic high school without, without detonating landmines in the high school? How'd you, how, how did you do this in Kentucky? How did... And I gradually got calls to go around the country and help people do this. Um, and I didn't even know what I was doing. And gradually, fortunate families called me to be their first executive director. And so I sort of got a national stage to uh, tell the story. So what's the story, basically? The story is that God works with the least likely and with a person that never had this intended for a career path and just does miracles of grace all over the place. We brought so many people back to the church, so many LGBT Catholics back home, made their profession of faith if they've been, uh, because they've been attracted to communities that were intentionally open and, and reaching out to them. We JR, thank you so much for, for sharing that, that, that story. Um, it's a, a very different, uh, different one, but people oftentimes ask me, well, how did you become, become a priest? And when I say to them, I'm not quite sure. I, <laughs> I said, but I said, the one thing I can tell you is I'm no Saul and Paul of Tarsus. Because I didn't get knocked off any horse and say, okay, now you got to become a priest. It just was like gradual. I, you know, was heard somebody talk about it and, and somebody said, well, you don't want to become a priest, do you? And I said, this was when I was like high school age, said, um, well, I don't know. I, you know, maybe it's something I might consider. And they said, really? I said, yeah. So I kind of continued to explore. And then, um, you know, even though I was in the seminary, I, kind of decided I was leaving the seminary four or five times. And like, it was like a Godot play. I didn't leave. I got ready to leave, but I didn't leave. Um, And then, you know, I, I finally was, was ordained. So I can relate to your thing about maybe not planning it, but you wind up in a place and you wind up, you know, responding to, you know, a call that you receive, even if it's not terribly clear or, or, or prescriptive, it's kind of just, just there. So thank you for, for sharing that. And give me a moment because I think in the, in what we're talking about, um, Catholic church ministry to the LGBTQ um, community, you know, I, I, I want to say to our listeners, I think oftentimes there's um, a lot of misunderstanding. And, and, you know, obviously, as a church, we believe in the, um, 
you know, the sanctity of marriage between a man and a woman. But that doesn't give us any excuse to be anti other people. You can affirm the goodness of something without denigrating people who are different. And and we've always believed that everybody was made in God's image and likeness, but somehow we haven't always done a good job of communicating that as a church to some communities who kind of wind up on the margins. And, and some of that is a little that we have to own up to some of the responsibility, you know, for that. Um, and so, um, so I am delighted that, that that you're engaging in this this ministry and to kind of put forth you know the fact that we need to respect people we need to show people dignity and that you know independent of one's sexual identity we believe that person is made in God's image and likeness and 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 is worthy of respect and being treated uh, as a sister or as a brother. And so thank you for the ministry that you are engaging in. Well, thank you. Thank you for those kind words. And you know, it's, it's just so true. I find in this ministry that when, when we restore someone to their dignity, oftentimes actions that uh, are harmful to self sort of fade away. I mean, if I don't respect myself a whole lot, I may be you know, prone to use alcohol or might be prone to buy every last piece of Gucci and Louis Vuitton, I can find something to fill up that void that's telling me I'm not good enough. I think this kind of ministry, I know this kind of ministry, helps people to see the goodness within themselves. And as far as the church not, you know, always putting their best foot forward regarding this particular population, part of the body of Christ, I do find that even when there are difficult situations um, with the clergy or uh, teachers or whatever, I think people usually mean well. I think sometimes we just don't have the language or we just don't have the skills necessarily or the sensitivity. And the catechism says to treat the LGBT people with uh, respect, compassion, sensitivity. I think we're learning the sensitivity part. And once we learn the sensitivity part, how to be sensitive to one another, I think we'll really be more perfect in the body of Christ. And that's sort of what I take my job. How can we be more sensitive? How can we be a better body of Christ? So you've been engaged in the ministry for a while. you know, this is this may be a leading question, but let me let me lead. Um, have we made any progress as a church? I think we've made progress as a church. You know, I, I, even six or seven years ago, I don't think we were having the kind of robust discussions we're having now. Maybe not agreeing on everything, but we're, I think we're walking together. We're walking together and we're learning how to dialogue together. And dialogue is I'm trying to convince you of anything. You're not trying to convince me. We're listening to each other's stories. And I think when we listen to each other's stories, we can have a conversion of heart. I think we can become more aware of the other. And we can recognize the presence of God in one another a little bit more easily. We've got to hear the stories. And I think the church is doing it. So, yeah, I give the church maybe not an A+. plus, But I, and I'm part of that church, so I'm grading myself. Right? right. I think I'd give, I'd give a good mark, though, because I think we're on the journey together. And that's and that's better than where we've been. Okay. Well, that's a nice, that's a good, good assessment. So let, uh, let me ask you, because uh, we deal with this question, this issue, which is broader than 
the LBGT community and that ministry. Um, how do we avoid getting drawn into the cultural wars, the divisiveness that is so part of our society these days? How do how do we do that? Is there do you have any tips or guides for how we do that? You know, I I I, I have no magician, and I don't know if I have any good advice to offer at all. It shocks me that I'm even talking to you on this show. But I, I guess I would say that you know, if we keep our eyes focused on the gospel, or our heart focused on the gospel, we keep our eyes focused on Jesus. My spiritual director always tells me, keep your eyes focused on Jesus. None of the detractors, none of the people tell you you can't, none of the people don't want to argue, people don't want to take you down a rabbit hole. If we keep our eyes fixed on Jesus, I think we can avoid all of those things. If we, if we just take the gospel mandates, the gospel counsels, and we move in those kind of directions, I think we can avoid being caught up in all of that. I mean, I try to. Um, I think sometimes we just have to say, no, no, I'm not going to get caught up. I'm not going down that rabbit hole. We're talking about Jesus here. We're talking about the church. We're talking about virtue. We're talking about holiness. We're talking about welcome. Let's get back to the topics at hand here, because that's what the Lord calls us to. So we, you know, we talked about the fact that, okay, maybe, maybe the church doesn't get an A plus, but it maybe didn't get left back from going to the next step. Where are some of the places, some of the things you would like to see us go as a church in the next in the next, um, you know, few years? Sure. I, I think a few, a few things. I think if we could just have more pastoral sensitivity to, who are, to whoever is in the pew, meaning LGBT people in the pew, we could recognize them in our parishes, maybe pray for them once in a while by name. Um, maybe not so much always assume that everybody's, you know, incredibly sexually active, that everybody's sinning somehow, and just look get the LGBTQ population like we do every other population and give them the benefit of the doubt, give them the benefit of goodness being, being part of the body. I think that would be a good start. I think the other start would be if we start preaching the holiness of our LGBTQ community members, parishioners. Um, I think if we, if we tell people that they're holy, if we tell people that they're good, if we tell people that they're important, well, then people begin owning that. And for so long, I think we've said other things about them. I know we have. And I just think that uh, some concrete ways would be to admit that they are there, to recognize them, to call them by name, to call them by the name they choose. I know that, like, for example, I was dealing with a priest the other day who made an intention for the same sex attracted. Ah, it's not exactly pastorally sensitive. I'm not sure even what he meant. To be, I'm not sure he meant to be unpastoral or, or insensitive. The point is, if somebody, you know, call me JR, my name is Stanley, but my friends call me JR. It's nice of you to call me JR. They want to be called LGBTQ or somebody wants to be called queer. That's fine. Let's respect what they want to be called and let's move forward together. So I think recognizing them, praying for them by name. I know high school kids tell me all the time when their pastors begin praying the LGBTQ community, even maybe during Pride Month or Respect Life Month, maybe. Um, they're touched. They're moved to tears. So many high school students tell me. And I think the other thing is to just really be aware of how we can approach the LGBT community with 
respect, compassion, and sensitivity as a church, as the people of God, and as the leadership of the church. And I think on behalf of the LGBT community, to presume goodwill, not to presume everybody's against you. I think we can recognize the church has not always been perfect and has said and done some not so good things, but we're trying. So give us the benefit of the doubt as a church, and we're going to try to respond to you with respect, compassion, sensitivity, like the catechism calls for. I think if we could just start with those basic things, we'd be getting a taste of, of heaven and a taste of that. Yeah. That, that, um, I think, you know, what somebody said to me just the other day, which I kind of pass on, is um, if, if we, and it wasn't only about this issue, but it was in, in general, um, could, we, could we give each other a mulligan every now and then when maybe you, you pointed out one issue where maybe, um, I forget what you told, the same-sex attraction, whatever the phrase you used, well, can we give somebody a mulligan? Maybe they didn't get the vocabulary right, but maybe the attitude was more positive. And and like uh, I I know that I get I get really concerned because we almost have to be a hundred percent perfect, otherwise we get and and it goes both ways in terms of that. It's a real challenge we're 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 in at the moment. There's a real challenge. I, I think that we need to, again, go back to presuming goodness on everybody's part, recognize the holiness in each other and presume the goodness. If we could do that, imagine, yeah. imagine the miracles we'd see. Yeah. And I think the other thing would be, you know, you asked me what other thing we could do, encourage people to stay, encourage people to come home and to stay in the church. I just wrote a book, uh, shameless plug, right? right? Coming home, butlerbooks.com. You can go there. <laughs> First half is a memoir. Why I, as a gay employee of the church, why did I stay? It wasn't always easy. It was pretty ugly at times. And thank God I stayed because God decided there was a ministry for me. I don't know if it'll, if it'll last, but it lasted this long, and hopefully I've done some good. And the point is that God is calling every LGBTQ person to something, too, within the church. There's something. There's some mission. There's something that is ordained for them to do to build up the body of Christ. So stick with us, even if it's tough. Even, I'm always pretty honest with them. So you're going to hear things that you're not going to like. We're not there yet. We're not at 100%. We may never be. But we all like what each other are saying and doing. Right. Take this Emmaus journey together and find Jesus on the road. Maybe we can do that because we need you. JR, thank you so much for taking the time to be, to be with us and our listeners on Just Love. And, and thank you so much for staying and to being part of an important ministry in the church um, and hopefully fortunate families, you know, continues to grow and, and thrive. And, you know, we, we even do a little bit better as a church and let's maybe we get a little bit higher mark as we, as we move forward. So thanks so much for being with us on Just Love. I really appreciate it. Thank you, Monsignor. Thank you. Pray for us, please. Stan J.R. Zerkowski who is the executive director of Fortune Families. Delighted that he has been a guest with us on Just Love. Uh, Tom, we'll take a break. Just love, just love God, just love your neighbor, just love yourself, and our world will be more just and it will be more compassionate. We'll be back in just a moment on the Catholic Channel, Sirius XM 129.
Now, let's get back to Just Love and your host, Monsignor Kevin Sullivan. Welcome back to Just Love. Just love God, just love your neighbor, just love yourself. And our world will be more just and it will be more compassionate. This is our weekly conversation about the church in the world. And we look at it from the perspective of our Catholic social teaching. And we look at the wisdom of our tradition. And we look at those issues and we say, well, what's going to um, how do we look at it? How do we react to what's going on in, in the world? So <clears throat> I'm delighted that we have as our next guest, Chris Bell, who is the co-founder and the director of Good Council Homes and uh, Good Council Homes, which has been around for a long time, has been doing a tremendous amount of wonderful, wonderful work. And I'm really, really delighted to call Chris Bell a friend and a colleague, um, just you know, even a wonderful, wonderful human being. Chris, thank you for being with us on Just Love. Thank you so much, my senior. Good to see you. Good to see you again. Um, Chris, I don't know, you're catching up with me. I know our listeners can't see it, but you're catching up to me with being bald, you used to have a full head of hair. Uh, so anyway, but uh, we, we did, we did. <laughs> um, so listen, I mean, um, you know, um, the issue of how the Catholic Church deals with unplanned parents, uh, unplanned pregnancies, the care, the compassionate care shown for women who are pregnant and mothers who don't have a place to live after they give birth, none of that compassion and that care is better epitomized than by the work that you and and Good Council Homes have been doing for many years and never more important, excuse me, as we are in this situation in which, um, you know, the overturning of the Supreme Court decision of Roe v. Wade. So, Chris, tell our listeners a little bit who may not be familiar with Good Counsel Homes. What is it? What does it do? And talk a little bit to our listeners about that first. Sure. Thank you. For any pregnant mother in need, uh, wherever she's from, however she got pregnant, Good Counsel has a home where a mom can come and live for a year or longer. Uh, The average stays about a year, but we've had women stay two years, two plus years. And while she's with us, she not only gives birth, but is has the opportunity to go back to school, find a job uh, and to take those next good steps in her life and learn life skills. And uh, it's like a little family. Uh, The moms cook dinner uh, together. One or two will cook dinner for the rest in the house. There might be eight or 10 or 12 moms in, in one home or another. Uh, we have homes in New York City and, and outside of the city in New Jersey uh, and a national helpline. So truly for any 
pregnant mother, anybody listening to us here uh, who's in need, or if you know somebody who's in need, you know, you can call our national helpline 24 hours a day, seven days a week. Uh, that's 1-800-723-8331. Uh, or go to our website, which is pretty simple, Good Counsel Homes, C-O-U-N-S-E-L, homes with an S at the end of it, .org, goodcounselhomes.org. Uh, and we have on that page, by the way, uh, a place where whatever state you're in, you can look up a maternity home that could help you. Hey, Chris, I know I because I'm in New York, Catholic Charities in New York, and you're, you know, del- we're delight- delighted that you are kind of affiliated with us. But I know a while ago, weren't you... Um, Looking to open a home in Alabama or someplace in the uh, south? We helped a home uh, in okay. Alabama. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Down uh, um, uh, right outside of Pensacola, actually, where that border is. And uh, I'm still working with some people in Pensacola. They like to open up uh, a new home there, too. You really can't have enough maternity homes. Uh, and um, around the country, we've helped nine homes open in eight states. And we've consulted to assist and improve uh, really dozens of other homes uh, in our in our 37 years uh, of existence. Wow. Uh, and I'm really happy to be part of the uh, the Catholic Charities family uh, that we have here in New York and, and also uh, in New Jersey. We're in the Diocese of Trenton. Uh, uh, you know, it's the, the church is a big tent and there are so many services that the church offers. Uh, I, I don't believe anybody really knows the the breadth and extent of all the services. And, uh, you know, it's goes, as you know, from hospitals to, uh, to food pantries, to shelters, and, uh, um, and, and it's wonderful. So, you know, we like to say, uh, don't we, you know, you could go up to any, any church and get the help you want, but the, the poor pastor or, or his assistant may not know, you know, even what numbers to call. But that doesn't mean it doesn't exist. Yeah. Today, going online, you could type in your need, pregnant, homeless, or, you know, need food, uh, or type on your phone, you know, and, and find uh, the nearest services that are available. Yeah, you know, it, what I find very, um, I understand it. But it does kind of upset me quite a bit. You know, clearly um, our Catholic wisdom, our Catholic teaching recognizes and cares for human life from the very first moment of its existence. Um, it, It does make me sad that even people who are somewhat educated or even sophisticated, and, and not even people of bad will. But they'll say, oh, yeah, but the Catholic Church doesn't do anything for women or people after they're born. I mean, it, it, I, I, you know, that's just what world are people living in to not realize all of them? Just take our Catholic school system, you know, as you mentioned, hospitals, nursing homes, um, I'm not even talking about the work that necessarily Catholic Charities does. There's just so many ways that the church and its institutions try to create a, a, a better world. So that sometimes does make me a little bit uh, upset because it's just ignorance in the word of not knowing what's going on. Uh, uh, clearly, um, we should mention 
given that it's one of the big topics of the time, you know, immigrants. Uh, We have immigrant women coming in and uh, there's no uh, discrimination. There's no bar for a a woman, uh, regardless of where uh, she calls home or how she got here. And and what do we do? Uh, Very often we work with one of the Catholic Charities Immigrant Services to help, you know, move her along in that process uh, of becoming a really a full-fledged American citizen. I don't know if I ever told you this story. Uh, we had a barbecue in, a, in our home in Spring Valley uh, and a woman taps me on the shoulder and I turn around. I didn't recognize her. She says, Chris, you don't remember me. Um, uh, I, I, it's uh, Marissa. And, you know, I legal now. (laughs) She she was from a little story, a little from Poland. And her little son was born uh, actually the same time my daughter was born, my first daughter. And uh, they kind of grew up together and she moved out and she did what she needed to do. She had a great skill uh, sewing. And uh, in the county we were in, um, she had a a particular clientele. They didn't pay very well, but boy, she could sew and um, you know, she put him through school. He was now graduating high school and she was legal now. And I- I'm sure her little Robert chick is going to be a doctor someday and probably <laughs> working on me. So, you yeah. know, we're just grateful to God. Uh, it's really, a, it's a blessing. It's certainly a blessing uh, to work with, you know, all the people we can, but, you know, yeah. to see moms uh, and their children grow up and develop. Uh, and, and if I could throw yeah. in another story, please, you know, for, um, for moms who have babies who are, have special needs. Now, in all of my time, uh, many, many women have been told, you know, your baby's going to be born deformed or, or going to be, you know, not live very long. And in all honesty, in 37 years, and I know this truly isn't statistical, but in good counsel, we have not seen a child with severe disabilities until November 11th. And on that day, this little Geriana was born uh, and the mother knew from her first sonogram, the doctors told her, don't have this baby, don't have this baby. And this woman, I can't say well-educated, but a great heart and soul said, God has a plan. Uh, I won't even say she's a churchgoer, but she knew that God has a plan and her baby was born and is alive and she asked that her child be baptized now she's not even catholic but i just explained to her how spiritually and you know in many ways physically it just is a, it's it's a healing sacrament and, and a helpful one and so she said yes immediately uh because of course we're not going to force baptism on anybody um so because of that she's been given more hope uh and joy and she herself, who has some struggles in life, is, is on the right path right now. And her little baby is still in the hospital, may always be in the hospital, but she visits her every chance she's allowed. Uh, she's just her whole life is really turned around as well. So, mm. you know, even even where there's a special need, we don't know what God has planned. And love means sharing and growing and living. And I think this, this mom is showing that uh, certainly she's showing it to me and she's showing it to her baby who is so frail and she's showing it to the doctors and nurses and everybody around her who knows her. So it's, it's just a incredible story. Great story. You know, Chris, I do think it's worth mentioning to, um, to our listeners 
because, uh, again, I think oftentimes there is a misunderstanding. I mean, all of our Catholic services that we provide are available to people, non-Catholic, Catholic alike. We don't we don't check baptismal cards <laughs> before giving the services. That's you know, that's we don't do that. And the other thing, Chris, which you pointed out, is we don't proselytize in the sense of saying, hey, if we help you, you know, you better become Catholic or you better do this. No, hey, we can extend an invitation. We can say, here's who we are. You're more than welcome. But, but we don't make that a condition of the services that that we provide. And and I think that's very, very important for us. And I think it's very important that we be consistent in that. Well, I, I hear you use the phrase Catholic and non-Catholic alike so often. Uh, like you said before, you think everybody would know, but they don't. So right. we have to repeat it. And uh, and honestly, today, uh, the vast majority of our women not only are not Catholic, they have no church affiliation. You know, in the past, there were a lot of women who were brought up by their grandparents or grandmother, and they went to some denomination or another. Now, they, they haven't even seen a Bible. And, and I say that because what's lacking when we, we just talk about, you know, the miracle of life, you know, you've given birth, you know, what do you think? Um, there's a hunger for God that they express on their own. Uh, and uh, it's a it's a matter for us to take everybody, <laughs> us included, where we're at, and just uh, delve into that transcendental part of human life, of our spirit, right? We're made for eternal life. And, and I think people, uh, they yearn for that. They question that. Um, it's so sad uh, when I hear somebody, you know, we ask if they want to say a grace at dinner time, right? You know, thank, thank God and thank everybody who provided this meal. <clears throat> Because we we survive only on private donations, so right. you know uh, it, we're certainly grateful for everything we have, and and some women have they, they express it so beautifully, and others say you know I, I don't know how to pray, and what breaks my heart is boy you know I, I grew up you know memorizing prayers as a Catholic, but to feel I can't say something to God because I wasn't taught it, um, again it's like you know, not being able to, to speak to a stranger, just to say hello, give a smile. Um, it, it just uh, breaks my heart. But then we, wh- why are we there? We're there to try to encourage and say, it's okay. Say what's ever on your mind. And usually it's very, it's always heartfelt. And, and it, it's very eloquent, actually, and very yeah. profound. So, yeah, it, it is. So Chris, let me, we're speaking with Chris Bell, who is the founder and the director of Good Counsel Home which is, we're proud, is uh, one of the affiliated agencies of Catholic Charities of New York. And they provide help to mothers and their children uh, in different situations. Um, Chris, so let me, let me bring up a topic, which is, you know, probably you've thought about a whole lot. I have too. Um, what do we need to do in the overturning of the Supreme Court decision. Now, I mean, our listeners are probably sophisticated enough 
to know that all the overturning of that decision means is that there's no federal law about abortion. And Chris, you probably know this better than I, but probably about half of the 50 states, you know, are states in which their laws are pretty close to what the federal rules were with, in other words, there's abortion is pretty much allowed in probably about half the states. I know it's not exactly half. In some of the other states, it's more restrictive. Um, So, Chris, what do you see the challenges for those of us who, you know, want to further the work such as yours by demonstrating our care for women in what do you see the needs as we as we kind of move forward in this, I would say a little bit more chaotic environment, and it's going to get very divisive and it's going to get very angry. What do you see us needing to do? Yeah, you you put that pretty well. About half the states uh, will have some restrictions. Very few are actually going to eliminate abortion entirely, unfortunately. And the others, like New York and New Jersey, Connecticut, Vermont, they are, they've actually, it's going to be hard for even the sophisticated listeners here to hear this, but it's true. They've actually allowed, their laws are permitting infanticide. So if a baby is born and for whatever reason, mother and doctor don't want that baby to live or mother and father, that baby can die quietly by not being treated and nobody will be prosecuted. And that is the state that we're in, particularly, as I said, New York, New Jersey, Connecticut, Vermont. And so what's the problem? The, the real problem is in states where they're funding and they're literally forcing abortion on uh, doctors to make referrals, on social workers, uh, school counselors, we see, I've seen this now my whole life, where uh, every girl who comes into a good council home has been told by a professional or non-professional, don't have that baby. Either she's single or she's in school and she says she's going to drop out or she's out of school and um, she'd never get back in. She's going to lose her job. There's a litany of poor excuses, but everyone is told, you know, you shouldn't have that baby. And that pressure, that's really pressure. And, and how is this freeing for a woman? And, and maybe the woman really wants the baby and now she's got this negative headwind or maybe she's on the fence and, and she's getting this pressure because uh, it's not a, a, an operation. An abortion is not an operation. Somebody walks away from and says, oh, I'm really glad I did that. I mean, yeah. you'll hear people say that. You'll hear stars repeat it. But how many women have you seen or heard in and out of the confessional who are sorry, who regret? How many men who've been involved in an abortion, directly or indirectly, whether they wanted it or not, and and think about that child who is not here? The first mom who came into good counsel, she asked me, you know, uh, a question I, I couldn't answer at the time. She said, where do you think my first baby is? And she, you know, she was a teenager when it happened and she really was somewhat oblivious to what an abortion was. 
And this was a couple of years later. Many women who I see are pregnant, you know, two years after they had an abortion. We might call that an atonement baby. So what do we need to do? We need to continue to um, uh, advocate and elucidate uh, our services for help for every pregnant woman in need. And I mean it. Any pregnant woman can come to a good counsel home. You know, go to our website, goodcounselhomes.org. Call us at 800-723-8331. And and we're going to help you. And, And also we have to work on educating Uh, The legislators, the elites, the abortion industry, we have to fight against. It's really a a big corporate abortion industry, mostly surrounding Planned Parenthood. I mean, they're the largest single entity that gets half a billion dollars a year from our tax money. We need to cut that off Uh, and we need to pray. And pray, uh, if you're called to, in front of these places where abortion is, it's still legal to pray and to ask people, you know, to to get help, you know, that you refer them to your local pregnancy center or maternity home or Catholic me Let me add, let me say something which, you know, sometimes I think we Catholics may be a little bit foolish in 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 some ways and we just alluded to to one of those where i oftentimes get the question well well do you help people who are not catholics and i said yeah of course we help people they said but but why do you use catholic money and why do you use catholic yeah well i mean because we believe they're made in god's image and likeness and so how could we not help somebody so that's one part. And people say, well, you know, you should take care of your own. All right. But the, <laughs> but, but the other part is, is, you know, we have a strong position on the sanctity of human life, the sanctity of the baby in the, in the woman's womb. But if a woman does have an abortion and the next day she needs help, we will help that woman. We don't ostracize or we don't say, oh, no, you're a bad person. You, uh, We say, no, no, if we can help, do you need food? Do you need a meal? Do you need counseling? Do you need whatever? If we can provide it, we don't turn somebody away. We don't turn a woman away because she may have made a decision that we don't think is a good decision, we wouldn't turn that person away. Well, I I think uh, I am really glad you brought that up, too, because how many, again, listeners uh, have been involved in an abortion? Again, women as well as men. And, uh, you know, we we take very uh, close to heart uh, when Jesus said, you know, who among you hasn't sinned to cast the first stone? You know, we're not going to throw stones at any woman or any man. And for those seeking help after an abortion, very often it's only going to be, uh, it doesn't matter whether you're, you're Catholic or not, you can go to a priest and talk to him asking for God's forgiveness. You can find counselors, not, of, not all of whom are Catholic or, or Christian, but you can find counselors who will understand that abortion leaves a deep scar and a pain. And is a loss in one's life. 
uh, we have groups and at Good Council, we started the Lumina program, Lumina meaning light for men and women, for siblings who find out later that their brother or sister was aborted before or after them. It, it, it scars the family on so many levels. And at Lumina, we have individual counselors, we have little groups, we have weekend retreats for those men, women, and siblings. And again, you can go to Good Counsel, C-O-U-N-S-E-L, Homes, with an S at the end of it, .org, um, for more information on our post-abortion healing program. Um, or again, call up 1-800-723-8331. Chris, thank you so much for joining us. And thank you for the compassionate work that you have done for many years and, and continue to do. It's needed now as much as, as ever. Really Chris Bell, the founder, the director of Good Counsel Homes. Thanks so much for being with us on Just Love. Uh, you're most welcome. God Thank bless you. you. Tom, I think we'll take a break. Just love, just love God, just love your neighbor, just love yourself. And our <laughs> world will be more just and it will be more compassionate. We'll be back in just a moment on the Catholic Channel, Sirius XM 129.
Just do it. Just love. Just check out Monsignor Kevin Sullivan, who's here right now. Take it away, Monsignor. Welcome back to Just Love. Just do it. Just love God. Just love your neighbor. Just love yourself. And our world will be more just and it will be more compassionate. Tom, you know, as we approach summer, I always kind of like to remind people of the importance of summer and the importance of taking a little bit of a break. And I kind of, I may have mentioned this recently, but it's kind of called my ice cream approach to things (laughs) that basically summer is for ice cream. And there's, there are very few situations in the world that aren't made better by ice cream. Mm -hmm. Now, I understand that some people may have some lactose intolerancy, but there's soy ice cream. So that's correct. (laughs) And and I, uh, this is a plug. I have to tell you the cherry vanilla soy ice cream from Trader Joe's is phenomenal. Okay. I would recommend the cherry vanilla from Trader Joe's soy ice cream for those who may have some uh, lactose issues. But, you know, we've, we've spoken about some pretty, pretty serious topics. We've spoken about um, life issues, um, residences for those in unplanned pregnancies. We've spoken about the sensitive issues of the LGBTQ community. And, you know, last week we've spoken about, you know, Juneteenth and the oppression of slavery, the ending of of slavery. So, and we've spoken about incarceration. So a lot of very, very kind of deep, sensitive issues, and they cause divisiveness in our society, and they're real. We have to deal with them. However, ice cream is most <laughs> important in those situations. And I, I don't, I, 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 I'm not saying that tongue in cheek, because we can't define our own lives or by society only by the hot button issues. We can't only divide it by those. We have to deal with the fact we're human beings and there's a multi-dimensional piece to it. You know, recently we had a counselor who told us even in the midst of kids dealing with grief and tragedy in schools, they also can be happy about certain things. So what I'm suggesting to listeners, please enjoy ice cream. I'm not telling you what flavor, but it's summer. Enjoy ice cream in the midst of some of the challenges that we have and take care of yourselves. Take care of your families, your loved ones, your friends. Just love. Love God. Love your neighbor. Love yourself. Our world will be more compassionate, more just. The Catholic Channel, Sirius XM 129. You're listening to The Catholic Channel, Sirius XM 129. 